Welcome to our podcast. We hope that this content is a blessing for your life. Enjoy the message. Let's go to the uh, Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. The scripture says, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. And that is God's word for us this morning as well. Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And I want us to to ponder this question. How will this be? In other words, how is this going to happen? How... Are you going to make it possible for this prophecy that you are making to be realized? How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. And there are other translations that say, for nothing is impossible with God. And then Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So, Father, this morning we come before you asking you to make alive in a unique and personal way your word. This narrative that has been repeated over 2,000 years in congregations like ours, in time like these. And we pray that you will give us what we need to hear this morning to be able to leave this place with new hope, having heard your message Through the declaration of your word, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Undoubtedly, uh, this is one of the strangest uh, Christmases that we will ever celebrate. It has been one of the strangest years, I think, that we have ever lived as well, as we look at the end of uh, this year. And by the way, brother, you may sit down. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you for your reverence. So appreciate that. It's been a difficult time that we've all been living. I remember I preached a sermon, it was a, um, which I believe was a prophetic sermon, a couple of years back during the end of the uh, year. And, you know, the Lord has spoken to me that we were entering into a time or uh, walking into a journey that um, we had never been involved in before, walking a territory that we have never walked before. And that connected us to the passage of um, the Israelites when they are entering into the promised land. And and God says to them, follow the ark 
as you file into the promised land and cross the Jordan because you have never walked this way before. And the idea was to keep your eyes fixed on the ark, that ark that is the symbol of God's presence, God's power, God's guidance, God's word, God's directions when we are facing situations of uncertainty, places that we have never visited before. And certainly I think you would agree with me that we have never been in, in a place such as the one that we have inhabited for the past few months. And even as we look ahead as well, you know, it, it's a time of another spike and um, uh, people are concerned and we ask ourselves, you know, how long will this last? Um, it's it's uh, understandable if we feel insecure and uncertain. Our emotions have been pummeled throughout these past few months. And uh, many times we wake up in the middle of the, all the, you know, the monotony, the sameness of every day. And uh, we wonder, man, how long is this going to last? And I know that there's um, a vaccine there in the offering uh, uh, in the future. But even then, for some people, you know, the, again, in these strange times that we live of parallel universes, for some people, uh, that vaccine even is a source of um, discomfort and threat and insecurity and conspiracy theories and so on and so forth. So even that doesn't offer for many people the kind of um, hope and relief uh, in the future that you know, normally it would. Even that becomes a source of um, conflict and controversy. And, you know, these are the times that we inhabit. It's a time of all the craziness of the, the electoral process that we are still in the middle of, our nation divided like never before. And, uh, you know, it's, it's understandable if we ask ourselves, how long is it going to last? How long is our nation going to be ravaged by division, by conflicting worldviews, by conflicting, you know, understandings of the time that we are living in? And uh, will that ever end? Is America irreversibly um, into a stage that, um, you know, of division and insecurity, conflict, and, uh, you know, just even violence at times and violent feelings, uh, certainly. And so what, what, pre what prevents us? What, what, what has prevented you? What has prevented me during these uh, past few months from uh, succumbing to despair? and discouragement, uh, and we have felt discouragement, but I mean discouragement as a, as a state of being, as something that is permanent and that just drains us of the desire to live. What, what keeps us from staying there in that uh, zone of despair and permanent discouragement? How, how can we, and how have you been able to maintain alive uh, a sense of hope and to remain motivated in a time of such turmoil and uncertainty as the one that we are living in and have been living in the past few months. I know each of you has your coping mechanisms, and they're not, I don't want to even put it that way. I think we have some really solid instruments that we use as believers and people of faith to keep us, you know, tethered to um, hope. And, and the Christmas story of all stories, I think, such as the one that we just saw displayed by the, ch by the children, you know, the Christmas story is a story of hope par excellence. It is the story of a God that is deeply engaged in the human drama. This is not some uh, uh, Buddhist or Hinduist God, and I say that with respect, uh, that is indifferent to the affairs of 
human beings or history that is too sublime and too out there to be concerned with the minutiae of human life. The God that uh, the Christmas story um, brings to us is a God who is interested, deeply involved, concerned about the destiny of uh, the human race, so concerned and so involved to the point that he becomes us, that he enters into our world. He, and not in disguise, not in a symbolic sort of way, but in a very effective, real sort of way, he becomes one of us. And uh, he becomes us because he becomes human, even while remaining uh, divine. Only he could put together that kind of trick. But that's what, that's what the Christmas story is about. This God who cares about us. This God who takes time and effort to uh, put things right, or at least to begin a process that will end up at the end of times and will culminate in a perfect uh, readjustment of uh, this creation that was undone and uh, maladjusted in, back in, in the Garden of Eden. And this whole story that we have been living all these centuries has been this God working, involved, loving to put things the way that they need to be and to put us back to spec, put us back to the original design. And, and it is a story of uh, people who were impacted and that the Bible registers Human beings, individuals, just like you and I, common people who God wanted to be involved in His uh, story of uh, redemption, in His story of uh, being a loving, engaged, involved God who doesn't, you know, look over the events and the crises that we live. He is there watching. He is there working. As that song says, even when we don't see Him, even when we don't feel Him, He is still working. You can imagine that this story of Mary being uh, approached by the angel with a life-transforming message, you know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't evident to all the people around her. You know, the world continued just as it was. There was no newspaper to announce that an angel appeared to a young woman uh, and uh, announced that she was going to become the mother of the God who was going to redeem the human race. Nothing like that. I mean, life went on as usual. You know, the Romans continued conquering and oppressing. The, the uh, Pharisees continued their religious life and so on and so forth. The politics of the time continued. But something had taken place within history that um, changed everything. And that will slow, would slowly unfold and become more and more evident to humanity throughout uh, the centuries. But that's, that's, what, that's who this God is. I mean, we're right now living a time uh, that is so pressing upon us. And who knows what things may be hatching right now in some obscure part of the world, some poor section of uh, New York or even Boston. God may be doing something. He's still at work, and He's doing extraordinary things. So even in this moment of, of darkness, when you think that... Um, this, this woman, uh, this young woman, Mary, you know, she, she was uh, living in a, sense of, in, a, in a time of darkness as well. And I'm thinking here of the passage of Isaiah 9-2, uh, which is a prophecy about the coming of the Lord. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now, that's a declaration, but it wasn't evident to the people 
you know, he's speaking, the prophet is speaking, Isaiah is speaking, you know, in, he's seeing something that has taken place in, in effect. But not necessarily people saw that great light in a large scale. So Mary, here, here she is. You know, this uh, first century virgin, this maiden, living in a time of uh, darkness. I mean, uh, the world is full of sin, uh, poverty, oppression, uh, hunger, all kinds of things. And Mary is part of that humanity that um, lives life very monotonously, very um, in an undistinguished anonymous sort of way. I mean, what she has ahead is the life of every other young woman of her class. It's a life of poverty, a life of making ends meet, a life of really not being known by anyone. She probably would have died just like anybody else without leaving a trace in, uh, through her life. Christ did indeed come to Mary's life uh, in her darkness and this Christ who comes into the darkness, into this darkness right now of COVID-19 and great turmoil and division and uncertainty in the world, he, he is the light. And the, the Bible says that he himself has said, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Whoever follows me will have the light of life. Even when we find ourselves in the deepest darkness, we still have hope. Because we have a God who specializes in bringing light into the darkness, and especially to those who believe and trust in Him. Now, Mary had something in her that attracted God's favor. She had a certain grace in her heart. She had a certain generosity of spirit. She had something noble in her, and God saw that. And that, that essential grace that was in Mary before Jesus comes into the world, that gave her a special quality. That attracted God's actions on her behalf. And that changed her life complete, completely. That darkness that she was inhabiting all of a sudden became inhabited by the light of God's favor, God's work. And God all of a sudden transformed her anonymous life into something truly distinguished and noble and worthy of renown throughout the centuries. God had a plan. In the middle of that historical moment, God was working. A few, as I say, a few people knew about it, but they were all pretty much undistinguished, except maybe for the Magi. But everybody else in that story didn't make the news, whether it was the shepherds seeing the, the child being born, Certainly the animals that were there participating in the whole drama, Mary, Joseph, even Elizabeth and uh, her husband, they were not really people of renown. I mean, and then think of Hannah and uh, Simeon in the temple as well, you know. Uh, these were humble people, full of spirituality. They loved the Lord. They were generous. They, they, they wanted the, the, the uh, plans of God to be manifested in history and this God was working in the middle of all that darkness, in the middle of all that poverty, in the middle of a world ridden with sin and uh, oppression and injustice. God was at work undercover, transforming the world. And we have seen a bit of that transforming work 
throughout the centuries, but I think we, have, we haven't seen it all unfold yet. And I think during this time that we are living, it's important to know that, you know, everything seems to be sort of overwhelmed by darkness, by clouds of um, uh, tragedy and disaster. But uh, we who have seen this God working through not 2,000, but even more thousands of years of history through the Bible, that's, that, that's why God has registered these events um, in the Bible. We have seen Him work throughout all these centuries at work, putting history uh, together again, and uh, working even when we don't see Him. And I know that even now, He has a plan, and He is working. And I have to say that, you know, that, that favor that God uh, found uh, in Mary, that, or the favor that Mary found uh, through God, whatever made her special and worthy of God's attention, it, it now dwells in each one of us. How? Through Jesus Christ, who is in us, wh whom we have accepted, whom we have uh, had Him endorse us, not us Him. He has endorsed us. And now, I think we have the same favor, maybe much more than Mary had, as children of God. And we need to keep that in mind when we're going through all of our troubles and all our difficulties. You know, it may seem like we're left to our own devices coping with this situation. But we have to remember that we have this favor of God within us, this mysterious, magnetic, pulsating force within us that is the, the, the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives. And that is like, a, I don't know, like a radar or, or something that beeps and that attracts God's attention everywhere we go, and that rescues us from our own sense of anonymity, impotence, dealing with our own uh, instruments during this time of um, crisis that we're facing. Let's remember that. The favor that attracted Mary to God is the favor that attracts His blessing and His love to us, that is calling always out to God, emitting a signal, a silent signal, I am here, God, and God is watching, and He is seeing us with great favor and a disposition to bless us, to work on our behalf. So um, that, that's, that's one, one thing that we need to keep in mind, to keep us sane, to keep us uh, oriented, steady in this time. And then there's another thing about this passage, which is that, you know, uh, Mary asks this question that I've always pondered through my life. When I, whenever I undertake a great project that seems uh, undoable, challenging, um, difficult to see the end of it, and it's threatening because of its magnitude, and there have been many of those in my life, and I'm sure in your own life as well, things that you say, how... how? How is this going to end? How is it possible? How, can I, how will I arrive at the solution? Because Mary asks this question. The angel says, you know, you're going to conceive. You're going to have a child. <clears throat> and Mary asks the question that we ask, how shall this be? And in the case of Mary, you know, she was a virgin. She was betrothed uh, to a man, but she had not had any physical contact with him. And uh, what the angel is saying is suggesting that she's going to She's going to have a child, you know, out of nowhere, just, to, just like that, I mean, uh, miraculously. And she's wondering, how is this possible? How, what are the mechanics of this miracle that you're saying is going to happen in my life? 
what, how, how is God going to make this possible? We, we, we always have that question. It's a totally legitimate question. Her question was not born out of unbelief. In the case of Zechariah, uh, the father of um, John the Baptist, he asked the same question, but he asked it in a way like, come on, that's not possible. That, that cannot be. And so he had his own consequences, uh, negative consequences as a result of doubting God. Mary was just full of wonder. She was asking a legitimate question. Yeah, this is going to affect my life in a very powerful way. How is it going to happen? It's going to affect my body. And, and uh, by the way, she didn't say, this is my body, and uh, therefore you have no right to invade it, and so on. And maybe God did respect it by asking her. But she immediately said, no, I'm your servant. I, I belong to you. I am your property. Whatever you want to do through my life, whatever changes, whatever effects this is going to have on my body or on my life. Can you imagine the... the panic that she must have felt. She, she did the math. What are, what are the people in my, na- in my neighborhood going to say when all of a sudden, all of a sudden I start growing a belly and, uh, you know, what am I going to tell them? Oh, the Lord visited me one day and here I am. You know, it was, a, it was a threatening time for this young woman. There were serious consequences um, for what was happening, yet she just uh, gave her life over to the Lord. She knew that uh, she was a servant of the Lord. And the angel graciously answers her and gives her an explanation because God is interested also in giving us illumination. You know, in these times that we are facing, we're all baffled by certain things that are happening right now and that have been happening over the last few months. You know, I I really believe that God, when we ask Him, He gives us wisdom, He gives us discernment, He eventually answers our questions and our concerns. And if not, He gives us peace about not knowing. But don't be afraid to ask the Lord, Father, I'm living a very strange time, and my emotions are doing all kinds of havoc in my life. Give me explanation. Give me an understanding. I really believe that God is a God who doesn't leave us ignorant uh, out of meanness of spirit. He, He wants to work with us. He wants to walk with us. And during these times, we are entitled to ask the Lord, Father, give us some light into this time that we are living in. And you know, in a similar way, this question affects uh, us as well in, uh, in these moments and in many moments of our lives. Uh, when, when we look at this pandemic, you know, its persistence, you know, the thing that uh, right now we are higher than we were a few months ago, despite all the face covering and all the hygiene and all the protection we're back at where we were, but even worse. So, you know, we are, we are asking ourselves again that same question. How will this end? You know, how will God uh, arrange? And some of us may ask, will it end? Um, you know, this week and the past couple of weeks, we have seen people in our congregation uh, being affected by the, the virus, you know, like never before almost. Thankfully, they're all, you know, coming, they've all come out on the other side, but still, it's, uh, it's threatening. And it's a time, by the way, for us to be careful, to take good care of ourselves, to exercise caution, and so on and so forth. Um, but we do ask ourselves, you know, how, how will God arrange it in such a way that all of these, this world that is topsy-turvy right now will get back to some sort of normality? How will, how will we heal the economic damage that has been done? to our nation, all of these restaurants that have closed and all of these small businesses that are falling under um, and all the other things. Our children, you know, the whole generation in terms of years and grades, 
you know, is experiencing extraordinary trauma and sense of probably your failure and a loss of confidence. Imagine all these kids who are not good at computers or they don't have the discipline to be, to sit down at a table and work the whole day or, or uh, who are used to the stimulus of other kids and so on and so forth. It's, it's uh, doing, it's doing uh, in many of them, and uh, it's doing a damage. And, you know, there are talks among educators and so on of a whole generation of children uh, because the damage of uh, COVID is not just the COVID itself, but it's also, you know, pervasive in so many other ways. Emotional damage, spiritual damage, damage to marriages, damage to businesses, damage to lifestyles, damage to plans um, of the future, damage to, bis- uh, to uh, weddings that did not take place or Christmas visits that did not happen. Elderly people who didn't have their children come and visit them and have to spend a lonely uh, season. All of these things. You know, uh, we tend to ask the question, how will this end? Jobs that have been, uh, you know, uh, disturbed and lost. People who had all kinds of plans about a certain job, and then, you know, now they've been let go or they're in limbo or whatever. You know, this is a time, like Mary, where we ask ourselves, Lord, you know, what are you going to do with my life in the light of the things that I have lost? How is this going to be uh, set right and I've mentioned a couple of things, but here's a couple of other things that, that really um, are sort of substantial resources that we have to this question. How will it be? How will it end? What will transpire in the next months? You know, one thing that helps me, and I'm sure that helps some of you, is to very concretely tell myself that this is not the first time <clears throat> that humanity has gone through something like this. And that's not to minimize the significance of what we are experiencing, the losses of specific loved ones and so on and so forth. But, you know, it helps me throughout life when, you know, this idea, this too shall pass. No matter how significant things are in my life, it helps me to to say, you know, this is the lot of humanity. This is human history at work. I mean, there have been times, there have been other plagues more devastating, much more catastrophic times that we have gone through. Um, This is not, it really is not the end of the world, I don't think. A few months ago, maybe a year and a half ago, I preached a series of sermons on Ecclesiastes. And I spoke about um, Ecclesiastes' view of the world, the writer of Ecclesiastes. His view of the world, which I said was was circular, and you see in those first chapters of Ecclesiastes, it speaks about, you know, what is, well, what was. And what was, what will be. And it talks about, you know, the seasons following each other and, and uh, you know, the world really being essentially in place despite the fact that it seems to be moving. And that we are um, governed by, you know, certain archetypes, certain constants, certain events that repeat themselves with different trappings and different appearance. But... You know, it's essentially the same thing. And I, I, and I said that for me, instead of uh, in, inducing a sense of uh, futility and failure, actually it, it uh, freed me. And I think this is what the uh, writer wanted to, to um, uh, create and, and uh, you know, have an effect on us. Because I also said that Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is a book of great hope. It's an invitation to live life joyfully. Uh, deliberately, to engage fully in what we do, to celebrate, 
uh, that memorable way that the, the writer puts it, never have oil lacking in your head because it was a symbol of gladness and, and of freshness. Uh, and never cease to wear a white garment. Enjoy your company. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your wife or husband all the days of your life. Enjoy your children. Enjoy the good things of life, even as we understand that there's someone watching over us in the context of fear of God. But it, what, what the Ecclesiastes says, hey, you can't change the world ultimately. You can change aspects of it. But the major structures of the world, they are there in place. They've been set by God. They're part of this fallen universe that we live in and find peace within it. Enjoy the things that you can because it's going to be like that always. Don't fret about the fact that things are this way. Accept them with humility and then, and also even within it. And what I said was that often the people who accept the, the constancy of the world, including fallenness, including injustice, including things that are not right, the people who accept that paradoxically in the light of Scripture are able to exercise more power and influence for change than those who think that, you know, it all depends on them. I think when you approach uh, the issues of life with a certain kind of realism and a certain kind of uh, uh, point of reference of uh, greater things beyond you and your lot and your immediate moment in life, and you stop thinking that history is all that there is, and you factor in the sacred and other things, and you approach the, effect, the, 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 the processes of life and the influences that you can exercise that are limited, actually you, you become an agent of change much more powerful because you have that peace, you have that uh, self-possession, um, and you have that humility that enables you to have a real impact, a good impact on life, those around you and other things as well. You become an agent of grace. So uh, understanding that the world is already made and that things will happen, again, ironically, I think it prepares you to be much more an agent of God's grace. So the, the point being, <clears throat> the point being that uh, the world is repetitive, that history is repetitive. When we live it, we think that it's unique. But when we have uh, lived like Roy, I see you, Nodding your head, Roy. Forgive me for... Roy, I was speaking to him today. He's 87 years old. And uh, this man has such a, a joy of life and a peace about him that, you know, I told him that I, I often referred to him because May 31st, the first Sunday that we opened, when I came in, Roy was already sitting here waiting for the service to begin. That was the first service we were having after the opening of, of uh, the churches. And uh, Roy has lived a long life, and I suspect that he has seen a lot. And uh, he has suffered a lot, probably, and he has made mistakes that we have all made, and he has been out there working like crazy in his life to get his children, you know, to where they are, and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, those who have lived long know that, you know, that's, uh, that we, we will uh, we'll find a way. My father used to say that he would, he would he, uh, del suelo no paso. In other words, he would, know, he would not go beyond the floor. And, uh, you know, that, that gives us a, a certain sense. And I, in, I invite you um, to, you know, to approach life with, with that sense of uh, looking at it in the long term. Projecting way back and way forward as well. This world is going to be here for a long time. And, and you know, you, we will be able to change some aspects of it. 
But in the end, the big pictures, uh, they're, they're a product of uh, the fallenness of the world, the sin that penetrated. Until God takes that away and binds Satan, there will be all kinds of situations that will affect us negatively. And we might as well accept that philosophically and even theologically and fight to change things, but also reserve some space for your own self and for the little moments of life. So again, this idea that this is not the first time, that there have been many, many situations that we have gone through. And, and some of you who come from, you know, countries um, other than America, uh, you, you, you have been through civil wars that have devastated your lifestyle and that have killed thousands and thousands of people, that have set you fleeing, and you live through traumatic uh, moments and, and cultures that are traumatic, uh, full of injustice that is inconceivable, even for us here in this nation, and poverty that is extraordinary and extreme, and challenges for our children to educate themselves, and so on and so forth, that they live every day, every day. What we are experiencing in America right now is simply, you know, God giving us a taste of how the rest of the world lives, and even minimally, because, you know, uh, our, our, and that, that's not to say, again, oh, we're better than, no, I'm saying that that's the way, that's the way it is, you know, there's, there's always somebody who is suffering much more than me, and I know that what seems to us traumatic and horrible and, you know, uh, insoportable, just uh, we can't bear it anymore. This is the way the rest of the world lives right now. They have lived like that for decades and decades and decades. And, you know, all I'm saying, people, it's not to minimize the importance of these things, but to put them in the proper perspective. Because that will, instead of depleting us, would give us energy to continue and would give us energy and reserves to bless somebody else and encourage them and to tell them, hey, this is not the end of the world. You have it in you. Let's continue. And for you, when you get up in the morning, say, oh, I can't stand it anymore. To say, yes, I can. Because others have done it, and I can do it. And God has not fled the universe. He's still there. So again, this idea of, and you can extrapolate on that. You can use that as a point of reference for your meditations this week. Um, this is not the first time. It will not be the last time. And we might even consider the possibility that we might have to deal with other things in the future as well. Um, because we have entered into a new stage of life, a, a, a journey that um, we have not been in before. And, you know, this thing that we are designed, <clears throat> we are designed for resiliency. God has put all kinds of defenses in us. It's just a matter of accepting that we have them, getting in touch with them, finding them, and then using them. Don't, don't deny them. Don't resist them. They are there. And if you get in touch with them, all of those reasons that you have in there, all those mechanisms for to be an overcomer. God has instilled that in you. He has instilled resiliency in humanity. We are by nature overcomers, and I will speak a little bit about that. So again, the world, uh, this is not the first time. Secondly, uh, something that helps me in my own uh, struggles, and I'm sure helps you as well, um, God promises that because of who we are, and that's the key, who we are, we cannot be overcome by anything. We cannot be overwhelmed. We cannot be crushed by anything. Thinking of that passage, I think it's 2 Corinthians. You know, we may be pressed, but we're not crushed yet. We may be down, but we are not totally defeated. Um, there's always hope to, and, and 
an opportunity to come back. Because of who we are, our nature, we could not be overcome by anything. By any event or situation of this world, you are by, uh, inherently, you are made to overcome because of who you are. And who are you? You're a child of God. Again, as I said, you know, you have the life of Christ breathing and uh, vibrating inside of you. You have, you have something that was installed in you when you received the Christ as, you, as your Savior, when you invited Him to come into your life, when you invited the Christmas message to become the guiding force of your life and the point of reference. Now you have this new piece, this new component inside of you. I'm thinking of Romans chapter 8, which, again, if you want to make that a subject of your meditation this week, think about that, you know, in the light of what we're living and the hope that uh, is in us. Romans 8 is the classical passage about hope and about overcoming and about victory that we have. And these are not empty words, my brothers and sisters. They, if you take them to heart, they will guide you. You know, the Apostle Paul says in verse 14, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Do you see there? The identity. The reason for hope. The same grace that inhabited Mary before Christ. She had a nobility, something that attracted God to her, because that's all that in that time was available. She was uh, visited. Well, we have now the same grace by being made children of God, because we have the Spirit of God. And then verse 15 says, The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Now you are a child of God. Say that to yourself. I am a child of God. I am a, I'm a daughter of the Most High. I am a son of the Creator. I have a special identity I have a special nature. We sing that many times in some of our verses, in some of our choruses. Can you make that a, a, a part of your awareness? Can you walk with that? Can you repeat that every morning when you wake up and think that you're left to your own devices to fight the situation? I'm a child of God. I'm a, uh, I'm a son, a daughter of the Most High. I have the Spirit of God within me. I am not a slave to fear. We can be cautious but not fearful, people of God. We, we can be responsible, but we should not be paranoid. We should make it a, a, a guiding principle that we are not going to live out this time with fear. And it's very easy to disguise fear and say, oh, no, I don't fear. But many times we do. We enter into fear. We should be respectful. We should be cautious. But we should pers be persistent about not letting this thing take away the, the, the instruments that we have uh, as Christians. Worship is, a, is an instrument. Coming together in a responsible sort of way and, and deriving courage and encouragement from each of us. And, and uh, just the assertion, when we come to, you know, these days coming to church is, is a declaration of war. It's spiritual warfare, isn't it? Because we're saying, hey, I'm not going to let this thing control my life. I'm going to commit myself to this caring, loving God. And of course, if you have, uh, you know, some situations of uh, sickness and, and you, you are, you got to be careful. If you're uh, uh, an extreme age or an older age person, by all means, you know, it, it, you, you want to be careful, except for Roy here. But, um, you know, uh, 
<laughs> there, are, there are even some who are older, you know, and, uh, you know, I shouldn't be talking. I'm 65, but I'm here. I'm serving the Lord with great joy and great gusto, and I will continue. I would not let this COVID control my life, even if I were 80 or 90, I'm telling you. But those who feel that way, by all means, you got to make all these caveats these days not to sound uh, judgmental. But the point being that when you come to church, it is a declaration of warfare. It is the declaration that you're not going to let this thing um, destroy you. And this idea, I am a child of God. I am a son, a daughter of the Most High. I have a right to be more expectant of God's protection than people who don't know the Lord. You know, the Apostle Paul goes on to say <clears throat> um, in uh, verse 17, If indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. Uh, these, are, these are times of suffering, martyrdom in a way, and we are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul says. I consider that, you know, a blessing. Suffering lived in Christ gives us character, brings faith, brings patience, brings greater dependency on the Lord, brings greater compassion for those that suffer and who are fearful and so on. That's what it should do. And uh, suffering, even in this time, can be a good thing for us, believe me. It, it can make us stronger. I think the problem with many generations is that they have not known enough suffering. And um, when I, I think of those generations that are past, they have suffered poverty, they have suffered um, oppression, all kinds of things. And, and generally, I find a certain nobility, not to say again, but no, that there's something very special about having gone through times like these, if we take them to heart. So our present, he continues in verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory <clears throat> that will be revealed in us. Why is that important? Always I see that uh, Paul went through difficulties like being in jail, like being threatened with death and uh, being persecuted and so on and so forth. But he had a certain perspective, which we see in Philippians many times, of the, of the sacred nature of what he was living he took his immediate sufferings and he put them in the context of uh, the greater things that God was doing in the world, in the universe. And um, he, in this case, he was transported uh, to another time, to total redemption, resurrection, eternal life. And he allowed that sacred hope, that eternal hope, to bleed into his uh, moment that he was living and to redeem it as well. And we need to always keep our sufferings in the context of eternity. There will come a time when all of this will be past. And, um, you know, it always helps me also to know that even if the worst were to happen, I have pondered upon that. And the worst is not that COVID would, take, would happen in my life. It would be that I might die. You know, but I've, I've, I've wrestled with that. I think I've looked it in the eye. And I believe that I am... Um, ready for that uh, eventuality if it did happen, if it did happen, uh, because, I'm, you know, are you ready? Are you prepared if, if uh, you needed to come before the Lord today, uh, you know, to look at that moment without fear? To, what, what, what hold does death have on your life? As a believer, it should have a very light hold, nothing strong, nothing overwhelming. We should all be prepared 
We should all live life with the expectation that, yeah, that may happen. It, it can happen at any time. It can happen in any way. There's no elegant way to leave this world, really. I am ready. And, um, you know, this is what Paul says. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, that hope of heaven. Keep that in mind during these, uh, these times. And then he says in verse 19, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Verse 21, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and COVID and other plagues and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Let us keep in mind, people, that we live in this fallen, sinful, imperfect, fragile world and fragile culture. Um, one day, all of this will be made um, irrelevant because God will bring a total change about. And we need to live in that hope. Right now, we are in this fallen flesh, temporary state, but the real is ahead. And we shouldn't take all of our struggles and all of our sufferings too, too seriously either. Put a little bit of water. Dilute your present suffering with the idea that there's a glorious moment when all of these things will be made insignificant, and live in the light of that, okay? And then I'm struck by another uh, aspect of, that, of this passage. Um, verse 25 of Romans 8 says, But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And then in verse 26, In the same way, the Spirit, which is in you and me, helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we, what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. That's a mouthful, very complex to unpack now. But I just suggest to you that, you know, that there's this thing also. Um, you have other resources inside of you. You may not know how to use them even. Um, you, you, may not, you may not have full control of them. But God's Spirit that is inside of you he will give you strength to go through these uh, stages. He will even teach you how to pray. God is interceding with you. God is fighting with you and for you. Uh, God is giving you resources that you may not even know that you have. Don't try to solve the whole thing by yourself. When you get up in the morning, you say, I don't, I don't know that I'll be able to make it today. Commit yourself to the grace of God. I've had days like that. It has helped me tremendously to say, Lord... I, I don't know how I'm going to end this day. That's before I've even gotten up. But I know that God will find a way because he's done it before. He will do it again. Okay? And um, this spirit, you may not have the solution. You may not know how this shall be, how this day or this season is going to transpire and end in a good note. But God is of the his spirit inside of you is working things out. You may be having marriage difficulties. You may be having difficulties with your child. You may be worrying about uh, he uh, making it through the season of virtual learning and, and so on and so forth. You know, you don't have all the answers. There's a part of how you're going to bear fruit and how you're going to have this sacred product, which in Mary's case, it was the child. But in your case, it may be just goodness and solution, resolution. You may not know how God is going to engineer that delicate, complex process. But I can tell you that he has a way, okay? And he's working in you and through you. 
and he has his plans, and he has his methods. Don't try to solve the whole thing yourself. Don't try to think of how you're going to get out of this or, you know, how you're going to get out of your financial situation. Just trust in the Lord. Commit yourself to Him. What you cannot resolve, just leave it in His hands and let Him. It's such a rich passage. Verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I mean, I think the, the, the Apostle Paul at that moment got really um, dramatic and, and, and intense when he was writing that. Because his answer is, no, 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 none of these things shall overcome us. And none of them will overcome you. You will prevail. You will overcome. You will be triumphant. You'll come out of this. If you live it within the processes of the gospel, you'll come out stronger, more dangerous to hell, more efficient in your work and in your living. You will be purified. You will be pruned. You will be uh, reduced of that excess weight that brings you down. This is what trials and testings do for the believer. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. He has a way. He has a plan. He has a method. He knows how He will do it. It's not up to you. God has a plan. That's the, the last thing I want to leave you with. He is right now working. He has a, a purpose. I, I, I am overcome by this image of this God who is a strategic thinker. Me, I, I want a solution right now, in this moment, in this way, because I'm tired of this, because I'm anxious and I want to get out of this anxiety. But God says, no, I have a richer plan for you. Can you hold on a little while longer? I have something more extraordinary. It has more torque, has more traction, has more texture. It, it's going to take a little bit longer, but wouldn't you prefer my way, which yields all kinds of rich consequences, than your way, which you know, dies right in front of your feet. God is up to something and it's, He's taking His sweet time. Those of us who are concerned about the elections and, you know, all this stuff that is happening, you know, I, I am possessed of this objective sense of conviction that God is working in a way that I, in a magnificent way. And that even if things don't work out the way we want them now, in the end, He has a better plan. And we should know that in your life, everything, you know, what you, if all that we read in the Bible is of any worth, it teaches us that to those who love God, all things work out for good. And that He always has a plan, just like Mary did. So, stay within that plan. In what you can do, do it. What comes to hand do it. Wear your mask in the uh, supermarket. Wear your mask as much as you or I detest it in church. As a sign of obedience, as a sign of respect, as a sign of, hey, saying, you know, this is a mystery. I can't understand it all. So I'll just, for the sake of my brothers and sisters, for the sake of harmony in my church, I will submit and I will let that be part of my sacrifice, my holocaust to the Lord. Um, you know, keep yourself safe for your loved ones, for your elderly, and for others in your neighborhood or whatever. Don't be a source of scandal. That's what we have tried to do as a church. Let's not be a source of scandal. 
because we don't know. You know, God is not. I cannot guarantee that Lion of Judah would not be a place where contagion might take place in a large. It won't happen, I believe. But if it if it did, I wanted to. I want to be able to say we did all that we could, and I expect that the Lord will protect us. And this is why we meet. Okay, but there's a part that we do. You know, we we take care of ourselves. We do certain things. I'm the first uh, um, cynic. But uh, we must do them because we don't know about this mysterious God who chooses sometimes to work in, in strange ways that include suffering. And I want to be able to say, I did my part. I was prudent. I, was, I used common sense. So the things that you can do, do them. Love your husband or wife. Express love to your children. You know, make phone calls to encourage people. As I say, keep yourself safe, keep yourself strong, keep yourself in good health. You know, more than ever we have seen that having a healthy body is a source of um, a certain level of security. So, you know, if you can, use this time to become more aware of the, the importance of, you know, eating well, resting well. If you can at all, you know, doing some exercise. Take walks in safe ways. Exercise. Keep yourself strong. Worship <clears throat> at home. Uh, you know, you will not go through this uh, as strongly as you would if you prayed regularly. Let me put it that way. Pray every morning and every night and, every, and during the day because prayer brings on a, an awareness of God's presence into your life. And it also does attract, actually, God's active protection. Confess good things. Listen to good uh, music. Don't watch cheap stuff that will only deplete you. No. Um, look at good things that will strengthen you because you need to be strong. You need a lot of iron. You need a lot of protein. You need a lot of minerals and, and vitamins in your life, spiritually speaking. So this is a time to be more deliberate than ever in keeping your spiritual disciplines, in exercising God's and Christ's character on your behalf and on, the, on behalf of others. So all those things that you can do, do them. And then... When there are things that you know you can't control, leave it up to the Lord. And you say, here is the servant of the Lord. Do with me as you will. Yield. Let go. Cast yourself into the loving hands of your Father and trust in Him. When the, when the evening has come and, and uh, you still have concerns and there are things that you, you can't answer, you say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands I commit my family and my life. I don't know how you will do this. I don't know how you will provide the solution. But I trust that you have that plan. And that you will do it. Because if you have done it before, you will do it again. May the Lord give us that understanding and that capacity. In Jesus' name. Father, thank you because we're not left to our own devices. We're not left to our own resources. You have so many great things that you have given us. And we know that we are built for success. We are built for victory. We are victory machines. Nothing will overcome us. Nothing will defeat us. Nothing will ultimately impoverish us or diminish the, the image of Christ in us. On the contrary, you have designed for the friction to make us shine. You have designed for the heat to take away the impurities and leave the gold. You have designed us 
to clear away the clutter so that we can see more clearly the image of Christ in us and looking down upon us. I pray that again, and this morning, as we come close to that 24th that we celebrate, but you are every day, every day is Christmas for we believers, but Father, make this time, as we come to the end of the year, and there may still be some road ahead for us, we choose to celebrate hope, we choose to welcome laughter, we choose to celebrate the small things uh, that we can have access to and create in our lives. We choose to focus on this palpitating force that is within us, this homing device that keeps us oriented to heaven and heaven totally focused on us. We choose to embrace our identity as your children who cannot be destroyed, overcome, because their father is the emperor of the universe. Their father is the creator, sustainer, explainer of the universe. And, and we are beloved. We are his preferred ones. And so we cannot fail. Nothing, nothing will separate us ultimately from the love of Christ. <clears throat> this morning, let us be filled with that awareness. And thank you for the message of Christmas. Thank you for this Christ who came into the world to explode the, the structures of uh, sin and hell. And to give us a reason to sing and to celebrate. Thank you for being able to worship you this morning. Take us from here with hope in our hearts and with the certainty that you are with us wherever we go. In Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in. You can find more resources like this in our website, leondejuda.org, and in our social networks by searching for Congregación León de Judah. We look forward to being with you again. God bless you.